Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. On a daily basis, I consume enough drugs to sedate Manhattan, Long Island, and Queens for a month. I take Quaaludes 10 to 15 times a day for my back pain, Adderall to stay focused, Xanax to take the edge off, pot to mellow me out, cocaine to wake me back up, and morphine. Well, because it's awesome. And welcome back to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Wolf of Wall Street. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to our right, we have our comic book guy, John. Let me give you some legal advice. Shut the fuck up. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, John. How you doing today? You mailed my company a postcard a few weeks back requesting information on penny stocks with a huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? Okay, great. Well, the reason for the pod today, John, is that there's this podcast crew, three guys in a flick, and they're going to be reviewing The Wolf of Wall Street. Have you seen that? Well, anyways, this podcast show, Three Guys in a Flick, they have got to be the best podcast show I have heard in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share with you what makes this podcast show so good with you. You got a minute? And then, yeah, nice sell, baby. Professor, coming in strong. Talking about The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Professor, have you seen this movie before? I'd seen a lot of it. But not in its entirety. Not in its entirety. Okay. Uh, John, had you seen this movie? It was my first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This comes as our third director's pick. Uh, Just to throw a quick recap, we had John Hughes's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark, and tonight's episode, Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. What about you? You've seen this before, right? I've seen this a couple times. I, for one, am a big Scorsese fan. He has done a lot of films that, you know, I really enjoy. Uh, I like the way he tells a story. He has a very distinct style. You could tell that Goodfellas was pretty much the blueprint for this movie. Uh, Very similarly paced and uh, followed a lot of the same um, ideas, if you will, but obviously different. But yeah, most definitely he has a style that's very recognizable and I fucking dig it. I dig Martin Scorsese. Yeah, he, his his attention to his camera work is fantastic. He he is so thoughtful in how he composes his camera shots. I also read that he used different types of lenses, cutscenes, things like that to uh, portray Jordan's state of mind, yeah. whether he was on the drugs, whether he was off the drugs, whether he was, you know, in kind of a violent mood, things like that. It all is portrayed by how the camera is shooting the scene. John, are you familiar with a lot of Martin Scorsese movies? Can you name five 
I cannot. How many can you name? Wolf of Wall Street. That's one. Oh, Goodfellas. So you know two. Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas. Professor, go. Raging Bull and Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas. Those are those are the ones that I know off the top of my head. After that, I have to start thinking about it. But if I were to look at the list, I go, oh yeah, oh yeah, of yeah, course, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, taxi driver, Yo, right, 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 right. Into there, mm-hmm. you know, um, casino. Oh yeah, of course, casino. Right, right, um, right, right. Now, do you know who we really have to thank for this movie? Jordan Belfort. Who inspired Jordan to write the book? Oh, Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong, who actually ended up being Jordan's cellmate. Uh, inspired him to write a book. Yeah, I read that somewhere. That's that's awesome. And so I guess they're they're still friends today. Yeah, that's that's great. And who inspired Jordan Belfort in the first place to have this type of behavior? Who? Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Oh yes, yes, yes. Greed yeah. is good. But here here's another piece of trivia for you. Do you know what Jordan wanted to be originally before becoming a stockbroker? A lawyer? No, he actually went to dental school. Dental school. And his dean basically started out, I think it was one of the first days of classes, basically saying that the height of dentistry is gone. And if you're looking to make money, this is not the profession you want to be in. He got up and left the class, never went back. This is based on a true story of Jordan Belfort. From his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. And there's a few drugs, I think, in this movie, too. There's a couple. So the budget on this movie was uh, $100 million, And the movie had a very uh, risqued storyline that none of the major uh, backers wanted to have anything to do with. And so he ended up going and uh, fundraising independently to get the funds in order to make the movie because it was not wanted by any of the studios. And so... That's that's a lot of money to 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 uh, to get together. It went on to make three hundred and ninety-two million. This is, in fact, Martin Scorsese's highest-grossing film to date, I believe. It was released on December twenty-fifth, two thousand and thirteen. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. Screenplay by Terrence Winter, based on The Wolf of Wall Street by Jordan Belfort. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, Matthew McConaughey, Kyle Chandler, Rob Reiner, John Favreau, Jean Dujardin, and John Barnthal. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out. I have never really been a big fan of Leo. I always kind of felt like he played Jack from Titanic in every role he's ever been in. But going back and watching this again with kind of new eyes, because it's, it's been a little uh, while since I've seen it, um, he's fucking fantastic in this movie. I think his performance is on point. It's, it's fucking depressing at the end, right? I, I will agree with you. I thought he did a great job in this movie, but every time I see him, I don't see Jack from Titanic. I see that kid from Growing Pains. <laughs> Serious? That, I, I don't know why. I always think of him as that kid from Growing Pains. What was his name in Growing Pains? I don't know, but it was about when they jumped the shark and had to add a young kid in. Leo got, did he get nominated for Best Actor? He got nominated for best act or uh, an Academy Award for best actor. Did not win it, but he did win a Golden Globe, I believe. Okay, so he is um, okay. So the Academy Awards, it was nominated for best picture, director, uh, adapted screenplay, uh, best actor, best supporting actor, and it was nominated 
for BAFTAs for Best Director, Actor, and Screenplay. Did, so it doesn't win any any Academies. Hey, it's an honor to be nominated, right? Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, did a great acting job in this movie. I mean, some of the things that he had to do was crazy. Just that scene of him crawling to the car when he does the lemons, um, that alone was crazy. I mean, he even hurt his back during that scene. And I guess a lot of the film, something that Martin Scorsese does with most of his films, is the actors are ad-libbing a lot of their lines and a lot of their direction. Yeah. So I, I thought it was fantastic when you think about that, the things that they did in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Matthew McConaughey uh, chest-beating bit, uh, totally improv uh, When Leo looks over, you think that he's looking at like the other... Uh, patrons in the restaurant. No, he's looking at Scorsese, looking for the uh, approval. Is, is this okay? Yeah, totally, right? And he gives it, and it fucking works. Martin Scorsese knows how to cast a film. You know what I mean? If you go back and you think about the films that we had before mentioned, uh, great cast in all of them, you know? And this one is no different. Uh, I, I feel like this is a, a strong candidate to be possibly one of Scorsese's best films. What do you, so, you think of Jonah Hill? In his cast. Oh my gosh, so funny. So funny. I was, he had me laughing. I laughed so much in this film, you know, and I don't know what that says about me uh, because of what this film contains, but uh, I laughed a lot and Jonah Hill made, he was hysterical. He was good. He was really good in this performance. I've never really been a big Jonah Hill fan. Even super bad, I didn't, you know, care for him that much. But I thought he did an amazing job in this movie. And did you hear what he did to get this part? Uh, what did he do? He wanted to be in a Martin Scorsese film so bad, he took $60,000. That's what he got paid for this movie. Sag scale. And uh, as soon as it was... So he waited a month and a half to hear if he got the part or not. And uh, Leo calls him and said, you got it. And then he immediately got on the phone and he says, I want to sign that contract tonight because he didn't want to lose the, uh, the role to somebody else. Right. And so he just took it, just give me anything because he just wanted to work so badly for Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, this is Margot Robbie's first, uh, big screen debut too. Mm-hmm. And boy, is it a debut? Uh, yeah. It leaves a little to the imagination. That's Harley Quinn up there, guys. Yeah. You were probably in a lot of heaven, weren't you, bud? Did you know that going into it? Uh, I think you had given me a little bit of warning ahead of time. We just said this isn't something that you want to watch with a lot of people. Well, you also <laughs> said that I didn't want to play on my phone during her scene. Uh, who else? You got uh, Matthew McConaughey, as we said. Uh, Rob Reiner as Mad Max, which yeah. I loved him in this movie. So good. Sean so Berthenol. John Berthenol, great, uh, great as the Quaalude dealer. Uh, you know, and yeah, he also now has, uh, John has inspired me for new facial hair. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm gonna have to start doing it that style. Wait, wait are you going to, okay. You are going to do it that style? Yeah. When? Oh, okay. Next Thursday, when we record whatever movie we record next, please have that style, uh, of facial hair. Okay. Kyle Chandler. The FBI agent? Yeah. I like that dude. I think mm-hmm. he's a really good actor. And it, he's the one from Office Space, isn't he? No. No. Uh, he looks like him. You, no. The, the, <laughs> you would know John, uh, Kyle Chandler from Godzilla, King of Monsters, yes. and Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, I don't know if he's in any other God, he looks sci-fi, so much- sci-fi movies that you, or comic book movies that you would watch. So, so. real-life FBI agent, Agent Coleman, 
when word got around that he's being portrayed in the movie, he is asked by staff members and such, so do you know who's portraying you in the movie? And he had no idea who Kyle Chandler was, never met him, no idea who he is. And he says, yeah, it's Kyle Chandler. And he felt good that it was being played by him because each time he mentioned that to any women folk, they all went, oh. Yeah. yeah he's, he's a good actor. I, I dig him. There's a lot of stuff that... He's good in, so. Oh, Super 8? He's the dad in Super 8? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, so. Have you ever seen Super 8? I don't think I have. Oh, fuck off. You haven't seen Super 8? I don't think You I would have. like that. I think, you, uh, do you know what it's about by chance? I'm guessing Super 8 people. Okay. There you go. There you go. You heard it, guys. Uh, make him watch Super 8. That's a fun one. That would be a good I one for it. someone to suggest for us. That's what I just fucking said. At our website, threeguysinaflick.com. Oh, my God. You're you're uh, worse than a pink slip whore. What uh, did they call him? A pink slip hooker. I, I'm, like that. I'm trying to sell it. I'm trying to make a sale here. <laughs> sell me this pen. So One thing I did find out about a casting, the, the woman that played the aunt, do you know who originally was supposed to play that role? Uh, no, I do not. Julie Andrews. Oh, that would have been cool. Can you imagine him making out, or Leonardo DiCaprio making out with Julie Andrews? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. Julie Andrews is beautiful to this day. So, just and back in weird, 2013, be a weird parent. I, I think you have some hangups about some things. You know what I mean? It's quite possible. Yeah, I think this was our kind of movie. I heard that they got a record. For this movie, what Guinness Book of World Records did they win for this movie? Don? They they used our favorite word five hundred and sixty nine times. And what is our favorite word? Why would you have to ask me that? You know what I you know that everyone knows what our favorite word is uh, five hundred and sixty nine fucks. So yeah, definitely our kind of movie that worked out to be an average of two point eight one times per minute. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking fucks. Did you find? the F-bombs distracting at all. Did you notice that it was so prevalent? No. It worked in the movie. It, it felt like that type of movie. Uh, you know, if you're going to make a movie with New Yorkers kind of in that setting, you're going to get a lot of fucks. So basically real life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. did it take you out of the movie there, Professor? I No, I, I really didn't notice them. And I think it just comes down to I have grown desensitized to it. I remember watching... Uh, Midnight Run with yeah. uh, Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro. And I was very distracted by the amount of times they said fuck. Really? Very distracted. And I've been curious to go back and watch it. It's It's been on the Lodar for a little while to go back and watch it to see if I experienced that. I started thinking about it when we started talking about, well, do we want to change our rating? And then, well, may, I was thinking maybe we use fucks. It's like, uh, well, I remembered how I felt about Midnight Run, and so it, it, had, it had stayed on the Lodar. You know, I should go back and watch that and see if I feel the same. And so now here I am watching Wolf of Wall Street, and it's just like, yeah, they say fuck, but, oh, they said it that much? I, I guess I didn't notice. Yeah. Desensitized. Yeah, for sure. And I think I've always been desensitized to the word because I can't remember the last time. No, I take that back. Uh, early on, grade school, I would be hanging out with my buddy and his family, and every time he got upset, I mean, like crying or didn't get his, <laughs> didn't make him sound spoiled, but when he got like really physically upset and crying, like if we were in the car or something, he would start cursing at his parents 
you shit fuckers. I mean, he would go off and I remember going, what the fuck, right? I say that shit. I get my ass beat back then. Not now, Pop. But, you know, uh, so I remember being kind of not traumatized, but introduced to that word uh, through that experience. And then I have older brothers, right? And they used it all the time. So I think I've always been desensitized but, to fuck. But hasn't your dad even had recently talks with you about how much we swear on this podcast? <laughs> he tells, you know what's funny is he goes, those other two don't swear. I, I never hear uh, Ken or John swear. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, dad. In 1987, Jordan Belfort lands a job as a Wall Street stockbroker for L.F. Rothschild, employed under Mark Hanna. He is quickly enticed into the drug-fueled stockbroker culture and Hanna's belief that broker's only goal is to make money for himself. Jordan loses his job following Black Monday, the largest one-day stock market drop in history, and takes a job at a boiler room brokerage firm on Long Island that specializes in penny stocks. Thanks to his aggressive pitching style and high commissions, Jordan makes a small fortune. Jordan then befriends his neighbor, Donnie Azoff, and the two found their own company. They recruit several of Jordan's friends whom Jordan trains in the art of the hard sell. Jordan's tactic and salesmanship largely contribute to the success of his pump and dump scheme, which involves inflating the price of a stock through issuing misleading, positive statements in order to sell it at an artificially augmented price. When the perpetrators of the scheme sell their overvalued securities, the price drops immensely and those who were conned into buying at an inflated price are left with a stock that is suddenly worth much less than what they paid. To cloak this, Jordan gives the firm the respectable sounding name Stratton Oakmont in 1989. You know, it's funny, after watching this movie, I had to talk to my dad who plays the stock market a lot. And I asked him, I'm like, Dad, you buy a lot of stocks. You ever heard of penny stocks? And he goes, oh, that's shit. <laughs> I never well, buy that shit. Well, that's well, that's what they fucking called it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie opens with a very, you know, I'm going to smack you in the face right away uh, narration, and a lot like Martin Scorsese's other films, he has a narrator to take us through the entire film. Uh, let me ask you: Does having a narrator that does this for this film take you out of it does it bother you did you not like it uh at the beginning uh it took me a little bit out of it because he keeps breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to us but then i realized what he was doing he was making a sell to the audience so he was selling the movie to us so i actually got into it after that yeah yeah i could see how you would take it that way what about you did it take you out of it did it bother you no did you expect it no i i wasn't expecting it and i i gotta say that uh Pretty quick, it's like, and this is just like Goodfellas. Yeah, and Casino, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it. A lot of his films are kind of paced the same way. I dug it. Leo was very charismatic, and the way they tell the story. And, I mean, it opens up with them uh, tossing a little person. I mean, that's, that's kind of fucked up, right? Uh, we are introduced to our characters, and then, you know, we go back to... Uh, see Jordan before this all kind of goes to shit. We get a quick introduction of what his day's like, what he's doing. What'd you think of Matthew McConaughey? Oh, I thought his uh, bit in this was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a, the introduction of when he first gets to that brokerage or whatever it was, and the dick, the guy who's just being a jerk to him, and yeah. you got the contrasting uh, Hannah, 
what was it, Mark Hanna? Yeah. Mark Hanna. I, I instantly you connect with Mark Hanna and you just want to kind of listen to every word he's got to say. Yeah, because he's a salesman and that's kind of what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And then we get to, he kind of, fig- oh, he's trying to get his broker's license, right? So he has to go through that hell, finally gets his broker's license, and then fucking the market crashes. And now he is worthless. What was know? it called? Black Monday? Black Monday. Yeah. I mean, he gets kicked right in the balls, you know? Yeah. So he's talking about taking a stockroom job and yeah, trying to figure it out. And it, and you know his wife was there for him. She was like, no, no, that is beneath you. You will take a stockbroker type job. You are going to find another job. Yeah, we'll make it work. And you know the fact that you know she was so much there for him, and he screws her over. Yeah, well, I mean that's what fucking drugs and money and or as uh, McConaughey puts it, uh, hookers and cocaine, buddy. I mean that's that's what it'll happen, and this and this film is a a, a great depiction of that. For me, you laugh and you you kind of go along for the ride, and the debauchery of it keeps going on and on and on, and then you kind of you see how it ends, and I mean it ends like it has to end. Everything comes crashing down, you know, and that and that's pretty much life, and that's how Jordan Belfort wrote it, you know. But it was a very it was an entertaining ride. You know what I mean? So, and that's what Scorsese does. He he puts us on entertaining rides, and, and I appreciate that about him. One of the things I really appreciate about this movie was, and this is where I kind of, my my expectations or my, what I consider with Goodfellas versus this movie, the big difference. In Goodfellas, the main character who tell is narrating the story makes himself out to be like the perfect gangster. He wasn't involved in any of the really bad things. It was the other people doing it, even though turns out if you know real life, he was involved in it, and he, people didn't think he was that great of a gangster, things like that, or mobster. Um, in this movie, uh, Jordan tells it like it is. I mean, he put, paints a picture of himself that is a horrible picture, but he, you can tell there's some honesty in that. Um, the people who you know, were portrayed in this movie in real life have confirmed all that really horrible stuff that he did, all the drugs that they did, all the debauchery at the parties that they did, the majority of it was true. He did all of those things. And I love the fact that he was honest about it. You know, this is who I am. I'm not a good person. Yeah. And though we may disagree about the Goodfellow thing, and we'll get into that way later, uh, I agree. Uh, Belfort tells it, or Leo tells it like it is. And I like the scene where after Black Monday, and he has to go get the job, and he walks into the penny stock place. Uh, what do you guys think of that scene? Well, that is the uh, first time we get to hear Jordan Belfort being a salesman. And these speeches that we get to hear him give throughout the movie, I feel like is more what the movie is about. Because, I don't know, in my opinion, the movie doesn't necessarily convey itself as strongly as a story that's being told, per se, as a series of vignettes. These are moments that are shared with us, and they're not necessarily telling his story other than just a few short years. And so how do I like my story told? I guess I prefer um, a story. The movie White Man Can't Jump, I feel like that movie comes down to 10 minutes. And then the rest of the story I, I was unimpressed with, and I understand the, the, you know, what that story was, was about, but I felt like it was it was just pivoting around that moment. And I'm thinking that this movie is going to be more about these moments because, oh, here's another speech. Oh, 
he is a really motivational speaker. He has these people just like, you know, they're, they're like frothing at the mouth, just raring to go. Mm-hmm. And so having this, you know, be the movie instead of more or less his story, I guess it's sort of his story, but um, I was underwhelmed because of that. I did like, as you were saying, Professor, that, that where we get to see Leonardo, we see Jordan do his big sale at that penny stock place. Um, and I just loved how you kind of saw in the background all the guys gathering around and staring Everyone's at him. Everyone's kind of stopping what they're doing, yeah. And then when he hangs up the phone and gets the $4,000, you know, sale, or, yeah, he sells $4,000 worth of penny stocks, everyone's like, how did you do that? That's his gift. Yeah, and and that jump starts us with his career, and, and then we go through, and, you know, uh, I was noticing that when he was introducing the guys that he's working with, uh, it was very good fellas-y. You know, it was a very uh, straight introduction scene, which is fine. So it moves us along. He introduces them all pretty much as criminals. Yeah. You know, he does this for a while and he starts making some money and uh, gets the nice car and the diner. And this is where we meet Jonah Hill's character, Donnie. Donnie. I like the bit where he says, you know, show me your pay stub for $72,000 and I quit my job now and I work for you. You know, that was that was an awkward moment. Can you imagine... Uh, you know, we we work. I mean, we live in the same building. And how can you drive that car? Well, now I can. Okay, but what do you do? I'm a stockbroker. Okay, well, how much do you make? I mean, he was so forward about it. Yeah. And 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 why are you just prying into this guy's life so much? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he wanted to make what he wanted to make. He was ballsy. You I, know, they, I mean, the guy did marry his cousin. So come on. I did find it hard to focus on what they were saying. And looking at Donnie's teeth. (laughs) Yeah, they were very distracting. I guess Jonah Hill, you know, they obviously had fake teeth in. And when they originally, he started wearing those fake teeth, he had a really bad lisp. So he would just call businesses at random during non-filming times to talk to people to try to work through that lisp. This is where they do crack for the first time, too. This yeah. this scene had me laughing, too, because uh, Leo gets all kinds of pumped up, and then he's like, let's go running, Donnie. Uh, the chemistry between Leo and Jonah Hill, I bought. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a couple moments in this movie that they're just kind of feeling it. Like you had said, John, the, the improv of it, right? And so it, it really works. I thought their chemistry what, was great. What the funny thing is, Professor, you were saying that it was a little, you know, weird how... Uh, Donnie came in and would was asking all those questions, those direct questions and probing. But you know what? I have a friend who's almost identical to Donnie, and he would do the exact same things. Even do some of the weird stuff at some of those parties. This is the guy who you would expect to do those things. So nothing was unexpected for me in this movie. Yeah. So Donnie works for Jordan now, and then eventually Jordan says, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, to cover up the fact that it's just a, a, a scheme and, you know. So he breaks away and, uh, you know, to cover it, he names it Stratton Oakmont. Uh, where does that name come from? Does anybody know? I read somewhere that they actually bought a company called Stratton. And I don't know if they made up the Oakmont, but Stratton was a legitimate company that they basically hid everything behind. Is that what you read? No, I didn't read. I was, oh. just, I was hoping you did the research. <laughs> oh, which is what I typically do, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a legitimate, and that's the one thing that Jordan, uh, one of his biggest complaints about this movie was it portrayed all of the company work that they did as being illegal and that they were scamming people. He said that that was about five percent 
of what they did at the company was the illegal stuff. He said 95% of the time at Stratton Oakmont, they were doing legal, you know, deals and stocks and everything that those people you saw in the background were actually doing real work. And that's one thing that he wished the movie had portrayed more, but I think it would have been kind of boring if they had portrayed the legal stuff. And, you know, to that I have to say, were they? So, But he was honest about most of everything else, so I kind of have to believe him on that. Well, that was what hooked uh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio dug the guy's story because of his brutal honesty. It it was unflinching, he said. And, And so, you know, for him to feel that, it's like, I guess maybe. But on the other hand, you know, I'm also thinking, you know, you're a shitty person and maybe, you, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily can believe you at, at face value, even though he was brutally honest about many other things. Sure. And and that's kind of where I'm at, right? I mean, he's a salesman at heart. So who knows? I guess only he will know. Well, Ag- the people that work for him, I guess. Agent Coleman referred to Belfort as a salesman and he and he said that he didn't sell stocks. What he did was he sold stories, and if the story was good, they bought the stock. After an expose in Forbes, hundreds of ambitious young financiers flock to his company. Jordan becomes immensely successful and slides into a decadent lifestyle of prostitutes and drugs. He has an affair with a woman named Naomi. When his wife finds out, Jordan divorces her and marries Naomi in 1991. Meanwhile, the SEC and the FBI begin investigating Stratton Oakmont. In 1993, Jordan illegally makes $22 million in three hours after securing the IPO of Steve Madden. This brings him and his firm further to the attention of the FBI. To hide his money, Jordan opens a Swiss bank account with a corrupt banker, Jean Jacques, in the name of Naomi's Aunt Emma, who is a British national and thus outside the reach of American authorities. He uses the wife and the in-laws of his friend Brad Bonnick, who have European passports, to smuggle the cash into Switzerland. This is my one, I think, big issue with this movie. And I've said it before, you know, when you're doing a movie based on a true story, when you... Yeah, and you say that it's based on a true story, and you swerve too far away from that. It takes me a little bit out of the movie, but I did not know this before watching the movie, so I'm glad I didn't know this part. So hopefully everybody's watched the movie who's listening to this podcast, because I'm about to ruin something for you. First of all, Forbes never called him the Wolf of Wall Street. The article was never about him being this guy who's conning people, things like that you know, making all the money off of, you know, rich people, making them poor, things like that. The The article was actually called Stakes, Stocks, What's the Difference? It was about Jordan's bankrupted meat business prior to him becoming a stockbroker. So it had nothing to do. All the people who ever worked at the firm, even Donnie has confirmed Jordan gave himself the nickname Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, so what? The way Martin tells it, it's way more fun. I know. I agree with you. I, I am glad they made that change. But, you know, when you're saying something's based off of a true story, you got to be a little hesitant on that. The, I don't fucking care, and it doesn't make a difference to me. The movie is based on the book yeah. by Jordan Belfort, not the Forbes article. You're, you're absolutely right. And the book, that's the thing that he basically says. is He talks about this Forbes article that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, I mean... 
smartly they changed it because mm-hmm. that's a dumb story and uh him getting the name the wolf of wall street you know it catches and it goes on and it doesn't surprise me one little bit that he gave it to himself mm-hmm. not at all uh this is also when we meet margot robbie i was just about to bring that up yeah i bet you were you pervert um what'd you think of her in this role i thought she did a fantastic job in fact she actually spent time with the real uh, Naomi, who actually her real name is Nadine. She spent the real you know time with her to learn that accent, and I thought she did such a great job. In fact, I almost felt like we were watching Harley Quinn because isn't that the same accent she uses in Suicide Squad? Uh, it's very similar. You know, she's from Long Island, I think. Long, uh, in the long, 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 no. long Island. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things I thought was uh, reading about that, you know, that scene that she does, the full frontal scene that she does. The, uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio, all of them said, you don't have to do it. We'll figure something out. We'll use either a, st- a body double or you can wear some lingerie, something like that. She insisted. She basically said, Naomi would do this. And so did you hear what she did to get ready to do this part, to do this scene? No, what did she do? Professor, did you read? Three shots of tequila. Three shots of tequila before she walked out. She insisted on doing this scene completely nude. And I think one of her quotes that she said was, you know, in like a Martin Scorsese film, if you get a big role like this for your first big role, you do a nude scene so you never have to do one again. Yeah, and probably smart advice. And then, uh, you know, we we progress through montage uh, until we get to, uh, you know, Jordan's wife at the time, uh, finding them in the limo, and then, you know, the div- the inevitable divorce comes, and now he's going to be with uh, Naomi. Um, speaking of Naomi and uh, the full frontal nudity, did the excessive use of nudity bother you in this film? I, well, I already knew it was there. Did so- it bother you the first time you saw it? Um, I don't think so. (laughs) Good for you. What about you? I don't think it bothered me as much, but I, you know, in this day and age, all I kept thinking was this wouldn't fly today, but you know, it really, it didn't bother me at all. Um, it was a little excessive at times and and somewhat unnecessary, but I, you know, it didn't take me out of the movie at all. I kept thinking, yeah, why have I never been to an office party like that? <laughs> I guess because we didn't make $22 million in one day. Uh, three hours. Three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I did read a scene. The scene where uh, Naomi and Jordan make love on the bed with all the money. Yeah. Did you read about that scene? What happened? Yeah. yeah she kept getting uh, little tiny paper cuts. Yeah. She got paper cuts all over her back. It was very uncomfortable. She you know, wasn't happy with the scene. You know, I was glad she did it. But, you know, she ended up in a lot of pain afterwards. They asked uh, DiCaprio about it. And he said, yeah, we got pretty cut up. Uh, he says, but I didn't mind the scene at all. I was with Margot Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. And then uh, when they first do it uh, when, uh, when they first with the dog, uh, the dog wouldn't cooperate. So they put like uh, dog food or something in between Leo's feet. Chicken giblets or something. Chicken liver, yeah. yeah. In his toes. Yeah. And there, there is a moment right there that you have as... He could have easily made the story a little bit different when he said, I was going to fuck her brains out. And then for, no, he, for 11 seconds. He said yeah. he did fuck her brains out for 11 seconds. And I so, love that pause. He, so, so he could have changed that. And it's in the movie. Uh, and I because do. it was in the book, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the way it's presented and I'm sure the way you read it, 
it's fucking funny, you know? So whether it's true or not, I don't think fucking matters. Well, I like, uh, how, I like how, it's funny. you know, he says to her, or she goes, did you come? And he's like, yeah. Did you? No. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, heard that a lot, have you? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a fun scene, I guess. And then they decide that they want to get married. Holy moly, you know it's got to be a train wreck by the end of it. And sure enough, it was. But the the bachelor party, holy fuck. Two million dollars. Holy fuck. When you see him walking naked across the room with all of the strewn debris everywhere, bodies sprawled everywhere, it's like, oh my God. Did you catch as he's walking across the room and he's almost to the window and there's one woman lying inside, he just reached down, gives her a little feel and keeps walking? Uh Uh-huh. Just the debauchery in the movie. It's yeah, crazy. I know. Oh, yeah. He, this is a full-on hedonistic uh, behavior. Just complete, complete and utter shameless, you know, self-gratification. Um, yeah. Fucking crazy, that uh, bachelor party. So they get married and then, uh, you know, time goes on and it, it turns out that uh, the FBI is starting to ask questions a little bit. And then... Um, they're, they're looking for something to kind of make them legit or they're looking for something to, to get them into the out of the penny stocks but into the bigger game. And so uh, Donnie's childhood friend, Steve Madden, has a shoe company, so they want to take it public, right? And so they do that whole bit. Uh, the guy who plays Steve Madden, you know who that is? I do. Do you know who that is? I forget. It is the son of Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. He's also in Click. I'm wearing my Steve Madden's right now. Oh, look at that. You into woman's shoe, are you, buddy? Um, Why are you so judgy? I, it was yeah. just a question. What's up with you? It was just a question. Since I'm kind of you know famous for this on all of our shows of missing the boat on certain scenes, I'm going to take us back a sec. Let's go back to the party where Jordan first meets uh, Naomi. There's a scene where Donnie, you know, as... Jordan's talking to Naomi. Higher than a kite. Donnie is higher than the kite, as you say, so eloquently. Uh, basically amusing himself, uh, you know, sitting there. In a I, room full of people. I guess, obviously, it was a prosthetic. It wasn't a real, you know, wang or whatever you want to call it. Oh, for uh, fuck's sake. But the people at the party, the actors didn't know that that was going to happen. So I guess their reaction was a genuine reaction. Can you imagine turning around and just seeing, you know, Jonah Hill? Potentially with, with his wanger out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, to go back just like half a minute earlier, when he starts tripping upstairs where he's at, and he's trying to say Steve Madden, and Leo keeps uh, mocking him and making the way that that bit had me rolling. And then it... it uh, crescendos with Jonah Hill coming downstairs. Dude, yeah. f- great scene. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. And it, Let- it was capped off, I thought. What really just perfectly ended that scene was his wife's reaction. Oh, when she starts beating the shit out of him? <laughs> yeah, just drags him out. Yeah, and it's funny. still hanging out of his pants. Uh, did you did you guys find yourself laughing a lot in this film? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of good laughs. No. <laughs> How about you, Don? I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Uh, well, it is a black comedy. Oh my gosh the uh, um, the bit will come up to you later. That's probably I, for me. I think it wasn't even so much 
a lot of the action in the movie. It was some of the lines and the way they were delivered. Uh, we also are, are introduced to uh, Rob Reiner's character, Mad Max. Uh, he comes in, you know, because Jordan is growing and growing. Uh, the scene where he comes in and starts yelling at them for their four hundred thousand uh, dollar dinner, dinner, or no, it was twenty six thousand dollars. They deliver dinner. one of the best lines here. Oh my god, it was so good. Was it curing uh, cancer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, it was curing cancer. That's why it cost so fucking much. And the in Leo, the way his off camera uh, reactions or not off camera, but you know, his reaction shots, like he's like, "Shut the fuck up, Donnie. You're gonna piss him off." And it it was so good. And I just love the line of, uh, "What kind of hooker takes credit cards?" <laughs> the rich ones. <laughs> So yeah, we uh, we get an idea of who we're dealing with uh, pretty quick. Yeah, I just loved Angry Dad, and you could almost see Jordan, you know, Leonardo, uh, just you know, laughing at his dad. I mean, they were just having a great interaction, a father son kind of moment. So we get to meet a special agent, a Denim, right yeah. on on the yacht. This has to be one of my favorite scenes too, because it's just so the dialogue between Leo and Kyle Chandler back and forth, back and forth. And, and then finally it just comes to a head. Did you think that he was going to take the deal? No, fuck no. At not any at moment, all, professor, did you think he was considering it? No. Yeah, no, I didn't think he was going to take the deal at all. Um, the way the, the way that the scene was shot, I, I really dug it. The uh, back and forth dialogue that is happening over Leo's shoulder, we see people on the beach, and they are all out of focus. And over the shot of the FBI agent is the waving American flag. And so the waving American flag, okay, this guy, he's true, he's honest, and he represents what is right. And then when we look at uh, Belfort, he has a bunch of people that are behind him that are all out of focus, and it has nothing to do with anybody else. He, it is only about him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he brought the agent on after his lawyer told him, absolutely do not talk to them, do not have anything to do with them, don't go near them. Next thing you see, he's bringing them on the boat. Well, he said he wouldn't call them. Yeah. So he has them on the boat. And then they get to the bit where uh, Kyle Chandler's uh, character says, can you say, say that, that again? again? Exactly, exactly the, the same, same way. way. Yeah, that was good. Did you just try to bribe me? And they're like, ah, ha, ha. and then it turns into, ha, ha, you know, you know, why don't you go and get the fuck off my boat? You know, why don't you go fuck yourself? Yeah. It was great lines. That was a work of fiction that never actually took place. Mm-hmm. The, the that yacht scene. Yeah, well, doesn't matter. No, because it propels, it, it propels the movie along. Yeah, the real agent said that the first time that he ever met Jordan was when he went to arrest him at the house. Yeah. Yeah, no, this uh, this gives me one of my favorite lines, you know. Go uh, have fun with your miserable subway uh, ride home to your ugly fucking wives. I'm going to have Heidi here lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. He throws the lobsters at him. He yeah, goes to the edge of the boat. you fuck. And he's, he's throwing $100 bills off the boat, calling them coupons. Yeah. Oh my that was gosh. a one fat wad of cash he pulled out. So uh, they have all this money, and now they have to uh, figure out how to launder it or hide it, I guess is a, a better term for it. So turns out that Naomi has a aunt in England, and they can get a uh, Swiss bank account opened in her name. Uh, they just have to get all of the money to Switzerland, you know. And we get introduced to Brad, 
early on. John Bernthal's character, uh, whom you were going to replicate on your face. And, uh, you know, it turns out that his wife and her family are from Europe. And uh, what do you guys think of the scene where they tape or they uh, shrink wrap all that money to... To that gal? Yeah. And uh, I kept thinking, how are they going to put clothes over I her? Know, I'm thinking that it's going to look normal. How are they going to fucking do this? Completely ridiculous looking. Yeah. And, and I love her comment when she talks to Don and she's like, I don't work for you. You're wearing my money. You technically do. What do you think of the scenes with the Swiss banker when they were trying to subtly talk about hiding the money, the $20 million, and, you know, are, are you going to screw me? Are, are you going to screw me? Yeah. He's, he's trying, like the Swiss guys, trying to say, that, you know, subtly of, no, I'm not going to screw you. I'm going to help you hide the money, but I might just screw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the inner thought moment that they have, you know, because they're talking to the audience. And we, we've we seen Leo do it the entire film, mm-hmm. but this one they, you know, kind of bounce back and forth with it, which I thought was funny. Here we have the scene also where Leonardo is, or Jordan is sitting on the bench with his, with the aunt, and he's thinking, is she coming on to me? And then she thinks, is he coming on to me? And then he goes and, ke- that was just an odd, odd scene. I, I, I think it was awkward. And I think it was meant to make you feel awkward. And this kind of goes to show you that Jordan's down for whatever. I thought maybe it's also basically say just how messed up in the head he'd gotten from all the drugs and lavish lifestyle and all that. Donnie and Brad get into a public brawl. Donnie escapes, but Brad is arrested. Brad does not say a word about Donnie or Jordan to the police. Jordan learns from his private investigator that the FBI is wiretapping his phones. Fearing for his son, Jordan's father advises him to leave Stratton Oakmont and lie low while Jordan's lawyers negotiate a deal to keep him out of prison. Jordan, however, cannot bear to quit and talks himself into staying in the middle of his farewell speech. In 1996, Jordan, Donnie, and their wives are on a yacht trip to Italy when they learn that Aunt Emma has died of a heart attack. Jordan decides to travel to Switzerland immediately to settle the bank account. To bypass border controls, he orders his yacht captain to sail to Monaco, but the ship capsizes in a storm. After their rescue, the plane sent to take them to Geneva is destroyed when a seagull flies into the engine. Jordan takes this as a sign from God and attempts to become sober from drugs. What was the beef between Donnie and Brad? Donnie's just a dick. It just seemed like he really wanted to push Brad's buttons. Yeah, he pushed everybody's buttons. Yeah, and it, I, I, think I mean, he does it to his dad. He does it to all their pals. Donnie's an asshole. I got the impression when they were first talking about hiding the money and everything, and he was talking to Brad like he was an employee and wanted to be, you know, he wanted Brad to kiss his ass, and Brad was like, fuck you. And I, from then on, Donnie just wanted to, you know, poke him and prod him and get him all, set him off. Well, here's my question. While Donnie's fucking around and doing all that, and Brad's, you know, trying to get the money, why doesn't Brad just fucking leave? I think he tried a couple of times, he, didn't no, he? No, he didn't. He kept trying to get the money from him. Yeah. He kept trying to, and Donnie kept being a prick. I'm thinking, fuck you, dude. I don't need this. I'm gone. I don't I don't have to do this. We moved our, all of Jordan's money. Jordan's good. You know, so he gets popped, and um, Donnie's fucking freaking out about it. Gets 
so wasted. They get the lemons. He uses the lemons to distract Jordan. Oh, I know. This is so funny. And then the the scene where, uh, you know, Jordan is like, uh, this was a special occasion. We were celebrating. So I had to prepare myself. And it shows himself about to take an enema <laughs> or give himself an enema. <laughs> the, the CPR scene uh, between... Uh, Belfort and Donnie, seventy takes. Why? Because they, uh, they wanted the uh, they wanted the the ham stuck to his face. So they they're going to take the lemons, and it's not working. And this this is probably when I remember seeing it for the very first time. I laughed from as soon as he started losing his speech, because uh, the private investigator calls right. Yeah. So him and Donnie just keep taking them because they're not working. His PI calls and says, you know, get it the fuck out of the house. You're, uh, get, out, get on a public phone. Right. So he drives down to the country club to use the pay phone and then they start talking and he's asking questions and then all of a sudden he starts speaking gibberish. I remember the first time watching this laughing through this entire fucking thing. Well, what I was going to say is that what I liked about this scene is throughout the movie they had talked about the different phases of drugs. You know, you do this drug to, you know, go to sleep. You do this drug to... And then he says... At this point, I hit the cerebral, cerebral palsy phase. Oh, I know. And it's when he realizes it, he's looking at the payphone and the shots of his eyes, and he goes, I just figured out that these had a delayed fuse, and everything hit him at once. And then, oh, my gosh, him trying to crawl to the car and the 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 sounds that he'd make and... Uh, when he looked down the steps, there was a gazillion steps. And then when it cut back, there was four. I had to rewind that scene because I, I thought, wait, he fell down a whole lot more steps than actually were there. So oh, my gosh. So it good. was shot very well. Yeah. Scorsese yeah. did it right. And yeah. he and Leonardo imp- improvised that whole scene. Yeah. Gets into the car, drives as slow as possible, makes it home without a scratch. It's not a scratch on the car. And gets in. He's still on the phone. And then he... The motions and just him trying to get off the phone was so fucking funny. And then Donnie immediately uh, goes to the ham plate, right? That's what Donnie does. He's fucking a, a hungry druggie. And he starts eating his ham. He starts fucking choking. And uh, at the same time, you know, Naomi's freaking out. She's telling Jordan to get over there. Jordan can't fucking move. But on the television, he's watching Popeye. And at that moment... Popeye's taking his spinach. So what does Jordan do? Jordan took his spinach. <laughs> took his spinach. Grabs this thing of Coke, does the Coke, get up. And what'd you say, 72 takes? Or how many takes? It was 70 takes. Did you read? 70 takes that he kept giving him. Did you, know, you read what they put on the ham to make it stick to Jordan's face? It was like KY jelly, wasn't they it? They put KY jelly on the ham. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Um, coughs it up, saves his life. Uh, but he knows that Brad got arrested. And he knows that uh, Donnie was responsible. At for first, it, so. you could tell, you know, when Donnie's choking, Jordan thought about letting him choke. Yeah, he did. He hesitates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He hesitates. He mm-hmm. was that mad, you know. He passes out on the couch, wakes up, and then this, I thought, this is probably where I laughed. Where the, the police wake him up. Yes. And he goes, Did he you said, leave the house tonight? <laughs> He's like, no. He walks outside, and then that Ferrari is torn. Lamborghini uh, Countach. What I say? Ferrari. Ferrari. Yeah, when the Lamborghini was torn. Did uh, you like the new? Because he wanted a Ferrari Testarossa, or he owned he owned a Ferrari Testarossa at the beginning, a white one. 
like on Miami Vice. Like on Miami Vice, that's right. Do you like how they reshot the scene of the car driving home and oh, hitting everything? Absolutely. And- Tells us what happens. Yeah, he does that a couple times, and another time's coming up uh, when he's on the plane, which I had was fucking hysterically laughing again. So Jordan's clearly out of control, right? And so he has a meeting with his father and our favorite, John Favreau. Um, and you're, they're saying, you know, plea guilty, do this, step down, you won't do any time, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks about it and decides to do it. Uh, did you know in real life he does? He did? He did leave him? Oh, did he? Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. I was watching an interview with him today, and uh, he said that never happened in the movie. Um, which... Again, cinematically, that scene where he decides to stay. That speech. That speech. Um, and this is kind of where I kind of turned around on Leo, right? And it was the moment where he starts talking about Kimmy. And, you know, and she, that's not the Kimmy I knew when I, when she started here, right? And they go through that whole story. And even though they are pieces of shit, I mean, kind of literally, right? Uh, it was told with such heart. And uh, it was, it was kind of fucking touching, you know. And then you know she's like, uh, "I fucking love you, Jordan." And she's like, and he's like, "I fucking love you too." And he stays, and you know, gets everyone all hyped. And I held on to that because at the end, when everyone's getting arrested, <laughs> so is she. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Max tells Jordan, you know, the the chickens are going to come home to roost. And so, you know, this is his chance to get out, and he doesn't. He stays with the company. Well, Max even says to him, how much money do you need? You know, if he takes the deal, he'll probably have to pay maybe a million, two million, something like that. He's still going to have hundreds of millions of dollars. For me, you know, to be a good movie, for a movie that for me to really enjoy, it has to have at least one oh shit scene or oh fuck scene. And to me, when he says, I'm staying... That was my oh fuck scene. Oh, really? That I couldn't believe, oh my God, he could walk away with all that money. He could get away with all of this. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to stay. Yeah, well, I bought it. I bought that I uh, I bought that he would stay because that's how uh, narcissistic this guy is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've done a pretty good job telling us who this guy is, according to the book and, you yeah. know, whatever. But when he decides to stay, it, I didn't put it past him at all. So, yeah, so what do they do? They fucking take the yacht, uh, the Naomi, <laughs> and they go to Italy, you know, and they're just chilling, and they're uh, running the the company from there, and then they find out that Aunt Emma dies, and, um, you know, he gets on the phone with the French... The Swiss the, guy. The Swiss guy, and it turns out he might be fucked. He might be losing $22 million. Yeah, so the guy, the Swiss guy kind of hints to him he needs to get there quick so they could forge some papers that basically says the aunt put it in his name. Right. And so that, you know, at first I thought, oh, she really did put it in his name? No, he was hinting to him, you need to get here real quick before anybody checks this out so I can produce papers that say you're the owner of the money. Right, right. So he he tells the captain, we're going to Monaco. And they're all, uh, but there's, you know, chop. There's some bad weather ahead. And he's like, I don't fucking care. And then they cut to, it was like the perfect storm. Did you ever see yeah. the perfect storm? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely unfucking believable You know? <laughs> I do like some of the scenes, like when uh, all of it's happening and Jordan turns to Donnie and says, go get the drugs. Go get the lewds. Get the lewds. 
Jones. I'm not dying sober. He's trying to be discreet, right? Right. He's holding on to Margot Robbie, and he's looking back at him. He's all get the loads, and Donnie's all fucked up, right? He doesn't understand it. Uh, the chemistry between those two. Fucking worked. Yeah. Fucking worked. Um, so they sink the fucking yacht. Which again is something that happened in real life. Uh, yeah, that's he said that. Uh, but he says that the the plane that he saw blow up in the movie happened like a week or two later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and when the plane blows up, he kind of has this aha moment and he, you know, decides he's gonna go clean, he's gonna go sober. So the interrogations that the rest of the crew goes through while he's out of country. Those were largely improvised scenes. Actually, they were completely improvised scenes. The ed- the editor, as they were going through, she said that some of the stories, because they would just say anything, whatever that came to their mind, she said it was some of the funniest shit that she had heard. Yeah, Martin oh, Scorsese gave them all direction of, say whatever you want to say, but don't tell the truth about what's going on. In 1998, the FBI arrests Jordan because Sorrell, arrested in Florida on an unrelated charge, has informed the FBI on Jordan. Since the evidence against him is overwhelming, Jordan agrees to gather evidence on his colleagues in exchange for leniency. After Jordan having forced sex with her, Naomi tells Jordan she is divorcing him and wants full custody of their daughter and infant son. In a cocaine-fueled rage, Jordan hits Naomi and tries to drive away with his daughter, but crashes his car in the driveway. Later on, Jordan wears a wire to work, but slips a note to Donnie, warning him. The FBI discovers this, arrests Jordan, and raids and shuts down Stratton Oakmont. Despite breaching his deal, Jordan receives a reduced sentence of 36 months in a minimum security prison for his testimony, and is released in 2000 after serving 22 months. After his release, Jordan makes a living hosting seminars on sales techniques. Roll credits. I guess the scene where Jordan slips the note to Donnie, that's another thing that never really happened. Donnie has confirmed, or his real name is Danny, but uh, has confirmed that there was never any note between the two of them. Jordan did slip a note, but it was to another friend of an employee. So they just kind of combined the story, which I think, again, is fine. Um, it did happen in a different way. And it wasn't one of the things that, um, as kind of the professor talked about earlier, that's not the thing that got him in trouble and not the thing that sent him to jail. The stuff that happened earlier is what ha- got him sent to jail when he took the deal. I guess there was hints in the scene, and I didn't get it at first. Kind of thought maybe it had happened, but they're trying to hint in this scene, maybe it's in the deleted footage, that Donnie turns around and makes a deal with the FBI, and Donnie's the one that gave him the note. And that's what sent Jordan to jail. I don't know. Would that have made any difference if they had kind of really made that clear? No, because I think with this story, you know, what goes up must come down. And so now we're probably, what, two hours and 35, 40 minutes into this film? And, uh, yeah, the world comes crashing down. And what I want to know is why not throw the fucking note away? What do you think of this last interaction between uh, Jordan and Naomi? Uh, I thought it was inevitable. I mm-hmm. thought it was going to blow up somehow. Um, you know, in, in this type of story, it's only worth telling if at some point the character loses everything, right? And so, or everything to him. You know, I mean, he does go to prison. Um, so I, I thought that they both gave a, a believable performance and, you know, 
fuck you, Jordan, for taking your daughter in the car and doing all that shit. But, you know. Jordan has flat out admitted, the re- you know, Jordan in real life has flat out admitted that he, he did hit his wife and he did some abuse. But he claims it was never when he was sober. He says only whenever he was on drugs did he ever strike his wife. Well, that doesn't surprise me either. But he also admits the the scene with his daughter and all of that did happen as well. So he's owned up to a lot of shit. So now we, uh, you know, flash forward to uh, Jordan, uh, where he's at now. And did you know, you probably knew, but that was the real Jordan Belfort who introduces him on the... On the stage of the the seminar. Yeah. 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 And then he goes back to the, you know, sell me this pen bit, you know, and... And that's where we end. Yeah. Now, the uh, the jail that he went to, the minimum security jail where he's playing tennis and all that, that's actually what happens to, to stockbrokers. If you are not guilty of a violent crime, if it's a you know type of crime like you know they committed where they don't feel like anybody was physically hurt, you go to a prison like that, and he probably got out on weekends or things like that. Minimum scare. It's like going to a freaking Holiday Inn. I mean, it's just crazy. All right, so uh, what do you guys think? Are you guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. Hey, Professor, uh, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five. Fucks. That's right. We rate them on fucks. So, a movie that is cinematic gold is going to get five fucks. A movie that is one and done, you've seen it and you have no desire to see it again, that's going to be one fuck. And what's a zero? A zero is somebody owes me two hours of my life back. It's one of those movies where I just don't give a fuck. All right. Well done. Wolf of Wall Street, who wants to go first? Who put this movie in the hat? Uh, I did. Okay, there you go. Professor, you're up, buddy. All right. So here we are. The Wolf of Wall Street. This is uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, very good work. I am so impressed with the movie that he puts together. The movie is just very pretty to watch, and the uh, casting is done very well. And I certainly appreciate how um, the movie was put together. But with that being said, how can I root for any of these main characters? All of these main characters are, as you said, Don, they are horrible 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 people i i there was nobody for me to get behind there's there's no protagonist in this movie for me i mean unless you want to count the fbi agent these characters even worse they are real people and these people being as awful as they are with the you know these the selfish hedonistic as i said tendencies i i had no compassion for them whatsoever they were people that I wanted nothing to do with and I never want to see again. The only reason I want to watch the movie again is because I want to appreciate what Martin Scorsese has put together because his camera work is so darn good. And I really appreciate how he crafts his movies and puts these scenes together. But, you know, as for the story itself, you know, I, well, I talked about it earlier. The story kind of gets lost, I think, a little bit in it. It's strong aesthetic. It is a movie that it feels more like a series of vignettes, like I said before, than a coherent narrative. And with that, it's like, well, do I do I like that in a movie or not? So it was 
it was something that I turned over in my head many times. I feel so strongly about Goodfellas, and I feel so strongly about The Wolf of Wall Street, but for different reasons. And they're both Martin Scorsese masterpieces. But do I want to watch the movie again? The only reason I want to watch the movie again is because I want to watch Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill and Margot Robbie. I want to watch them. I don't want to watch the characters. The backdrop of who they are is is terrible. And I, I felt so awful that you have all of this money that just went away to nowhere. Nothing came of these people. They consumed all of this and... To what end? What what good did they do? They did no good to anybody. They are horrible people. And with that, it really leaves me thinking that I, I'm really not all that interested to see the movie anytime soon. But like I said, it's Martin Scorsese. And watching him in his craft put together such a good movie cinematically is impressive. I, I kind of want to you know, like the movie more, but I, I'm going to give it 1.5 fucks. The Wolf of Wall Street, 1.5 fucks. You want to go or you want me to go? I can go ahead if you'd like. All right, hit me there, comic book guy. So going into this movie, I would call myself not a fan of Martin Scorsese films. And not because I haven't, you know, I, I've seen the movies and hated them. I just never had a much interest in Martin Scorsese films. I've seen Taxi Driver, and I thought it was a really good movie, but I don't think I ever connected that that was a Martin Scorsese film. Um, you know, his, his style, you know, Goodfellas, not a big fan of it, and that's something that we're going to revisit again down the road when we, I don't know if we're going to re-review it or release our original review of Goodfellas. Um, but that movie kind of turned me off in that, Knowing, maybe again, you always tell me, Don, don't read ahead, don't learn about these movies, don't figure out what's going to happen beforehand. Finding out that, again, yes, this is a guy telling basically a, a story based on a true story, but exaggerating so many different scenes turned me off to that movie. Um, but I've said before, that was a well-filmed movie, that was a well-acted movie, that was a good movie, just I wasn't a fan of that movie. I had the opposite reaction to this movie. The brutal honesty that was in this movie, based off of a book by you know Jordan Belfont, um, really drew me into the movie. That the fact that this guy was being so honest about his drug use, about all the prostitutes and the women that he slept with, about his cheating, about what ended his marriage, even the point of you know the domestic violence about hitting his wife. This man was brutally honest about all the things that the excesses in his life led to. Uh, That combined with Scorsese's filming techniques of the different lenses and kind of like you were talking about, Professor, how things seemed disjointed but I guess that was on purpose, the fact that he wanted, anytime that like Jordan was on uh, drugs, especially near the end when he took that cocaine and everything felt jumbly, he wanted people to feel like they were on drugs too, like they were missing something, something was wrong. You know, falling down the stairs with the, all of a sudden we have a ton more stairs and he's actually falling down. Did we just see that? And I had to rewind the scene. You know, he wanted to give the audience that feeling and I think he succeeded in that. I love the parts where 
Jordan talks to the camera. He talks to the audience, breaks the fourth wall. I thought that was a great technique of, you know, he's selling the movie to us. He's selling his lifestyle to us. He's explaining what's going on so that we'll buy all of this. And I did buy into all of it. I will say, kind of like you were saying, Professor, that these were bad people who did bad things. And it bothered me at the end that really they got away with it. They got a little bit of jail time, got a little bit of a fine, a little slap on the wrist. But, you know, as I wake up every morning at, you know, six or seven in the morning to go to work for eight hours, you know, hoping to make sure and make enough money to pay off my mortgage. And these people are eating lobster every night and doing all these things, horrible things with all this money that they've made doing, you know, things that they didn't even get in trouble for. You know, it kind of puts a little, you know, stab in the heart when you re- when you think about it. Um but everything else about the movie, now, would I, would I watch this movie again? Is this a movie I want to run out and watch? If it's on, I think I would actually watch it. I don't think I would go out and rent it, but I think I would actually watch it because I'd like to catch some of the scenes again um, and learn a little bit more mo- movie, catch a few things. I want to see more of those interesting camera shots that they did. And I didn't read about the different lenses until after I watched the movie the first time. So I'd like to see if I could catch when they use the different, you know, the fisheye lens or the, you know, different aspect ratios, things like that. I wanted to catch that and see if I, you know, what I see in that. So this is a movie that I think I might want to watch again. Did I enjoy the movie? I thought it was a good movie. I enjoyed, you know, usually I'm not a fan of Jonah Hill. I liked his his acting in this movie. I thought he did a good job. I thought he was creepy as hell, but I did like, you know, he he portrayed that character. He pulled off the creep factor and made me feel like he was creepy as hell. Jordan Belfont, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, work on him, portraying him, very believable. Uh, Robbie, she was incredible in this movie. She pulled it off for her first acting role in a Martin Scorsese film. Again, very believable. All the characters I thought did a great job. Even Matthew McConaughey in the beginning, you know, beating his chest and all that in the restaurant. Great. I mean, they all were amazing. So for that reason, you know, my negatives versus my positives, uh, I have to base it on overall, did I enjoy the movie? I think I did. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 3.75. Uh, all right. Uh, my turn. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Martin Scorsese is a... Uh, I, I think that Martin Scorsese is a fantastic storyteller. And if you go back and you look at the films that he has directed, a lot of his films involve people that we don't like people that aren't good people. And I think that the point of this, of telling these stories is if, you know, look at all this access uh, and, and look at what this lifestyle will ultimately give you. And I mean, it's nothing glamorous about it, you know? And so I think that with these stories, uh, the way he tells them, since they are kind of a depressing end game, uh, you, you got to liven it up a little bit. You got you got to uh, grab your audience. And if one thing a Martin Scorsese film does, it's grab you, right? I mean, if you, you look at the list of movies he's made, um, I could start naming off movies and you both would go, oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And if you go back and watch those movies, there's something about them that will grab you, you know? And so I think that Martin Scorsese put together a fantastic cast and crew 
Um, he had his longtime uh, editor with him, Thelma Schumacher. The way he puts his films together and the way he tells his stories, uh, I really find uh, fun. And uh, I'm hard-pressed to find a Martin Scorsese movie that I didn't like a whole lot. You know, I'm sure they're out there, but, you know, I can't think of uh, any off the top of my head. Like I said earlier, I wasn't a big fan of Leo, but he really turned me around on this uh, portrayal. I thought he was great as Jordan Belfort, uh, Jonah Hill, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Margot Robbie, Rob Reiner, list goes on and on and on. Uh, they all knocked it out of the park. I thought uh, it was very well done. And, um, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street is something that I would probably watch again. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's funny. You know, uh, you look at all this access and their douchebaggery and, you know, the way they tell the story and the way it's portrayed on screen, I, I, I find it funny. I chuckle. So, you know, I don't know if that makes me um, an asshole, but we all know that I am. I really enjoyed this film. I would watch it again. I'm going to give The Wolf of Wall Street four fucks. Okay. There you go. All right, now comes the time in our podcast where we're going to select our next movie. Uh, tonight, we are going back to the Bronco Helmet. So this is going to be a mixture of uh, the three directors that we have in there and our fan picks. So luck of the draw tonight. Uh, Professor, would you please do us the honor of selecting our next film? <laughs> our next movie... Welcome to Miami Mutual Bank. How may I help you? I'd like to cash this check here, and then and I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. <laughs> Are you a real-life pilot? I sure am, little lady. The jump seat is open. It's been a while since I've done this. Which one's the jump seat again? Dr. Connors to the ER. Dr. Connors to the ER. This is irrefutable evidence that the defendant is lying. Special Agent Hanratty, FBI. Hello, Carl. You're gonna get caught. It's like Vegas. The house always wins. Some nuts flying around the country posing as a pilot. Call him the James Bond of the sky. Hello, pusher. This is by far the best date I have ever been on. He's a kid. That's why he doesn't have a record. 30 milligrams of codeine every four hours. Do you concur? I concur. Dr. Harris. Yes? Do you concur? Concur with what, sir? <laughs> Ma'am, I'm sorry to have to tell you, your son has fired you checks. I have a payroll check here I'd like to cash. I'm working part-time at the church now. Just tell me how much yours and I'll pay you back. $1.3 million. I'll be choosing eight young ladies to be a part of Pan Am's future stewardess program. South America, Australia, Singapore. These are so perfect, the bank doesn't even know the difference. What do you want? To apologize. You didn't call to apologize, did you? You have no one else to call. I'm looking for your son. I would never give up my son. If you were a father, you'd know. Stop chasing me. I can't stop. It's my job. You see these people staring at you? They keep peeking over their shoulders, wondering where you're going tonight. Where you going, Frank? Don't tell me not to fly. I've simply got to. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Don't bring around a cloud of terrain on my parade. Sir, we're going to let him get away. No, Carl, you let him get away. Nobody had a better brain on 
close, huh? You will go to prison. You're gonna have to catch me. So the next movie that we are going to watch is coming from our director, Steven Spielberg. The movie is Catch Me If You Can. All right. Yeah, that that Leonardo guy, have we seen anything with him? Well, now I'm really, I'm kind of uh, eager to watch it because I'm going to look at Leo in a whole new light, right? I'm going to try not to look at him as Jack Dawson and everything. I remember seeing this movie. I remember liking this movie. Uh, Tom Hanks, I mean, come on, right? Um, But I remember thinking this is the con man Jack Dawson. So we'll see what happens. Who plays his dad in that movie? In which one? In Catch Me If You Can. Christopher Walken, maybe? Christopher Walken, that's right. Fuck, I am good. Yeah, I love Chris, Christopher Walken in this movie. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on, right on, right on. Um, all right, so I look forward to Catch Me If You Can. Um, speaking of catching us where you can, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They can find us on various podcast hosting sites, including iTunes, Podbeam, Spotify. We are on all of them. They can find us on TikTok. They can also find us anytime at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post articles about every movie we review that includes all of our show notes, extra information, as well as links to the DVD, IMDB, if you want to know information from them about it, it's all on our website. We also have a form on there that you can submit uh, movie ideas for the next movies that we review. So please go ahead and check out our website if you can, threeguysinaflick.com. And if you happen to visit us on Podbeam or any of these podcasting hosting sites, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We'd really like to build up our subscriber numbers. All right, so there you have it. Uh, as per always, I want to thank everybody who listens to us, especially Zach, Ronnie, and Jill. And be sure to share us with a friend. And don't forget to tune in next week when we talk about Catch Me If You Can. So, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. We, we kind of talked about the cast. We didn't we, talk about the screenplay. We did not talk about I didn't think. On. I don't think you said the date it was released, did you? No. Who fucking cares? It was 2013. Fuck you guys, man. God. Do this. Do that. The God. wolf. You motherfucker. God. There. I fucking said it. I went through it. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. Now can we move on? Well, did you want to read the plot? I already read the fucking plot. I swear to God, this guy does not listen to me, Professor. Drives me up the fucking wall. All right. 1.5 fucks. A oh. 3.9. If you fuck up every 3. time. 3.5 nope, 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 fucks. Not going to use it. Sorry. Your penance for not thinking it through. Wait, did you say 3.75 the no, first said, time? I said, yeah, I meant to say 3.75 fucks. Is that what you said? Three, I, I said 3.5 three? the second time. Oh, 3.5. Well, what is it? What is yeah, your fucking score? So what 3. is 3.75 fucks. You're giving a 3.75. I'm giving a 3.75 fucks only because I think of this genre of movie um, yeah, and yeah, the style yeah, yeah. that we was already, filmed. We, we already heard you. I enjoyed it. Okay. <clears throat> you guys are 
bitter because of my Goodfellas score, aren't you? No, I, I don't give a fuck. You get zero fucks from me because I don't give a fuck. Fuck off. Good night.